Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Please take a moment and visit InvernessCalvary.com to get connected with us. We want to know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you may do so online. Now prepare your heart for a word that we pray will bless your life. Well, we're continuing in a series called What's Next? Uh, Today we're going to talk about navigating purpose. Now, if you were not here last week, uh, listen to your pastor when I say, please go and listen to that message. I I actually went back and listened to it. And I spoke it, and I got so overwhelmed by the presence of God in my, my hotel room, and uh, God did just some tremendous things. Go to our website, InvernessCalvary.com, subscribe to our podcast, you'll get them downloaded. Just allow God to feed your spirit about how you're supposed to navigate transition. Well, today we're going to talk about navigating purpose, but the, the primary verse that we're kicking all of this off uh, is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which says this, But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, we heard this scripture uh, come up many times for us in the past several months, and it says something very significant that I want to call everyone's attention to. It says that we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That says that there is a glory in your relationship with God that you are supposed to be from. And there is a glory in your relationship with God that he is carrying you to. Let me say it this way. The born-again experience is not the end-all for a Christian. When you get born again, it is glorious. It is a glory that is meant for every human being on this planet. But it is a glory that you are to be from That is the launching pad. That is the beginning where God does something, initiates you into being a son or a daughter of God. He takes you from that glory to another glory. That other glory is walking as a disciple in his purpose. You see, you and I are not only meant for heaven. We are sent here by God to make a difference on this planet from the glory of being saved to another glory of looking like Christ everywhere that we go. We're being transformed into that image. It is a journey. It is a transition. And transition is the process that God uses between promise and fulfillment. Said it last week that there is another biblical word for transition that most of us do not like. It's called wilderness. It was the wilderness that God made for himself a people that he could bring into the promised land. But he had to make them. And that process of transforming the way that they think and the way that they would live is called wilderness. It's called transition. It was glorious. There are some things that we can learn about, about how to navigate transition. Go and listen to that message from last week. Many of us have received promises from God, and we are still waiting on the fulfillment of those promises. Maybe you were reading the Bible, and there was a verse, and you found yourself in God's Word. It was more than just uh, what was being stated on the page. It was actually leaping off the page, identifying who you are. That, that happens. And you get these promises from God, and yet... You, don't, you haven't seen them come to pass yet. You find yourself in transition. But what if you're the person that has never or feels as if they have never actually 
received a promise or received their purpose. We're going to talk today about how to receive a vision from God. Acts chapter 9 is a great passage that, that walks us through one of the greatest transitions in the Apostle Paul's life. It is where he, he went by the name Saul and he was persecuting Christians. He actually thought, I am doing God's work by persecuting Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, we find this great moment of transition. Beginning in verse 3, it says this, As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I want you to understand something. In this, these few short, short verses, we have a glory-to-glory glory moment. Saul, traveling, has an encounter with the glorified Jesus. And I, I actually find uh, this, this verse actually very, very comical. Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he answers his question in the question. And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I love what Jesus says. And it's hard to kick against the goads. You know what he was really saying? Saul, it's so hard to live apart from my will for your life. It's so hard. You know deep in your soul what you are doing is not my will. That's what he was saying to him. And in this moment, he gets born again. I believe as soon as he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. That's it. He's Lord. He's born again. The ultimate transition has just taken place. But what did he do? I mean, one breath after being born again, he said, what, would you, what do you want me to do? I've got some really good news. You are not saved by works. This is really good news. You're not saved by works. What a great picture of that. Saul is working for the devil persecuting Jesus. And God in his love and mercy and grace interrupts him in his plan. And he gets born again because of mercy, because of God's undeserved favor. Now your story may not be this dramatic. Maybe you walked an aisle in a church when you were young, but it's the same thing. You didn't work your way into heaven. God chased you down and said the same words to you. It's so hard to go your way instead of coming mine. Come to me, and I'm going to give you the free gift of salvation through my son. That's what God has said. Now, here's the other side of that coin. If you are saved, you will do good works. I mean, Paul, Saul can hardly draw the next breath from his salvation encounter and says, what do you want me to do? Siri missed that point, so I should probably say it again. Saul draws his first breath being saved and says, what should I do for you, Lord? Now, I don't want to heap condemnation on anybody, but if you're saved and you're not asking that question, you're asking the wrong question. If you're still asking, God, what are you going to do for me? You got it backwards. He's already done everything for you. 
He's giving you everything that you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of his son. What we need to say as the church, what would you have me to do? And I believe if we, would, if we know what to do, then we would do what the Lord has called us to do. But we have to know the process of finding out what God has called us to do. You and I need vision for this time, our time, this season, for our church, for our families, for our jobs, for our region. We need vision. We need to know what God would have us to do. Why? Proverbs 29, 18 says it this way. Where there is no vision, people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. It says, where there is no vision, people perish. I, let me just ask it to you this way. Is there any area of your life that is not in fullness? Because Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Maybe what we need is a fresh vision from God in that area. Because if we are perishing, it is because we don't have vision. Maybe another way, so, so that you understand a, a well-rounded uh, understanding of vision, Proverbs chapter 29 from the NIV says it this way, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Where there is no revelation. This word vision and revelation is a Hebrew word called kasan. Kasan basically is this. It is a prophetic picture. It's a sight, a dream, a revelation, an oracle, a vision. It is something that God reveals. And it says, where you find a people not living by what God has revealed... Those people cast off restraint. The, the picture here is the bit in a horse's mouth. People cast off restraint with no vision. That means they're powerful, but they're just running wherever they want to run. They're doing whatever they want to do. And I would say this to you, most of the church lives this way. They don't live by a, a revelation of what they are supposed to give their lives to. They may be living by their precepts revealed in God's word, which, by the way, please do that. There is a way in which you should live in this life. It is found between the, the books of Genesis and Revelation. It declares God's redemption. But here's what I want you to know. It is not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. It's the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the bridge that leads us into the presence of the one that we're supposed to have a real relationship with. It's a real relationship. So when we want to feel his hot breath, his inspired word, we go and we read it and we get near to him. But we allow the word to bring us into relationship. You see, you may not find your personal assignment in the pages, but you will find out how to live your personal assignment from the pages. But you need to have a relationship with God where he speaks to you and releases vision so that you don't cast off restraint. A vision is simply this. Now, I want to encourage you, on the first day of this fast, this is a meaty message. You're either going to have to listen to this a lot of times online or take really good notes. I would say take really good notes and listen to it a lot and then go and do what I'm going to encourage you to do. Vision, if we're going to escape what so many people are under the influence of living a life without vision. we got to know what vision really is. And vision is this. It's a picture revealed to the mind or the spirit 
by the Holy Spirit. It's an overarching sense of direction. I've got to tell you, in all of my years of going to, to, to speak at youth conferences in different places, I, people will have encounters with God. They, will, they, they, they have all kinds of things. But then they say, how do I hear the voice of God? How do I know what to do? And listen, they would love somebody who is prophetically motivated to just come up to them, lay their hands on them, and say, thus saith the Lord, you should do this. But you know what that does? that robs God of relationship. And God wants all of us to walk in the fullness of relationship with him. He wants to give you his vision for you directly. Now, vision is a picture revealed to the mind or the spirit by the Holy Spirit, an overarching sense of direction. Listen, those without vision will always be carried by a current called normal. Those without vision will always be carried by a current called normal. Maybe another way of saying it is the tyranny of the urgent. Anybody ever experienced that? You had a list for your day. And you were really going get to get to something but then this, you didn't see this coming, and that led to something else coming. And then you, you, you're still thinking about the list, but then something else came up, and you get to the end of your day, and you're like, I didn't get to any of that. God, can you make an eighth day? Anybody ever feel that way? I, I want to say this to you. You're not meant to live your Christian walk that way. Normal isn't supposed to drive your life. The Spirit of God is supposed to be the wind in the sails of your life that carries you into His purpose. But if we don't seek out God's vision, we will only live in the current called normal. And listen to me, normal is killing this planet. Because normal is sin. And Christians everywhere are starting to call sin normal. Instead of what it is, the cancer that is killing humanity, that God in his goodness sent his son to heal us of. Who we can be healed by his grace and mercy. Don't get caught up in this current called normal. Vision is the engine that will propel you against the current of culture. It will help you stem the tide. And as the scripture says, it will make your forehead like flint. Everybody else is going another way. A vision revealed by the Holy Spirit will carry you and sustain you. Say, I know God has called me this way. It feels like everything else is pushing against me. But God, I have set my eyes on you and I am going after your call on my life. Vision will be the engine that propels you against the current of culture. And everything in our culture is saying, we have a better way than God's way. But when you have a vision from God, you will live above the current of culture. Let me say it to you this way. When we see what God sees, we can be what God sees. When we see what God sees, then we can be what God sees. You see, when we get a, a, an absolute revealed picture of who we are called to be and what we are called to do, then we can actually live that out. Have you ever asked this question of God? God, what do you see in me? I mean, it's occurred to me that I was such a failure and such a mess up, and I'm like, God, what do you see in me? It's like the scripture, what, it's man that you are mindful of him. What, what, God, what do you see in me? He must see something. Because not only did he save you, he trusted you to be his ambassador, 
to share the gospel wherever you go. He must see something. And when we say, God, what do you see not only in me but for me, then we can actually become what we see. Remember, vision is a picture revealed by the Holy Spirit. Vision totally fuels who you are. Now, I'm going to give you what I believe are a top-down explanation of how I believe God has called believers to live. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you that, that, that uh, this is everything, because I believe everyone should be saved by grace and filled with the Holy Spirit and be in His Word every day, be praying and be in relationship with God and be in fellowship with brothers and sisters in the church. I believe that we should be preaching the gospel all over the planet. I believe that there are common things that all of us are called to. But when you receive a vision from heaven, it governs everything else. So when I, I share with you what I'm about to share with you, you're going to begin to understand that everything flows from vision. Everything flows from vision. Vision is your understanding of who God wants you to be and what he wants you to do. Vision is your understanding of who God wants you to be and what he wants you to do. Never forget this. God first saves you to make you sons and daughters. That's the first thing. He's bringing you into relationship. So even the vision that, that he tells you in the things that you are to do, you have to understand it's all within God's desire of being in real relationship with you. This whole process is about relationship, really. So vision is your understanding of what God wants you to be and what he wants you to do. Now, from vision comes values. These are the things that you have to do. These are the things that you're most passionate about. They're, they're, they're most important to you. I would say here at Calvary, we have some values. Uh, number one value would be prayer. Our number one value is prayer. We believe it is the work of the church to first pray and then to go. Another one of our values, and you could probably identify some of these uh, just by coming and experience. You would say worship is a value here. We take time. It is authentic. It's real. Our worship team sacrifices and comes and, and practices and gets here early and stays late and lays down their life to create an atmosphere where all of us can encounter God. That is is a value that flows out of us. Excellence is another value. I would say missions, it's another value. You, you, you can hear at, at any time about a missionary that we're supporting, some 30 of them I think that we support. You would say kingdom for us here at Calvary. That is an important value. You say, what do you mean by kingdom? Kingdom. Well, I firmly believe that if we will be busy building God's kingdom, he will build this church. If we will partner with other brothers and sisters in this community, it'll have a multiplied effect. And more people will be won. More people will be saved. And there will be more people in churches all around this county. That's why we, our value is kingdom. We're not here to just build Calvary. We're here to build his kingdom. And we'll do it standing with brothers and sisters from other churches. We have values. These are the things that you're most passionate about and most port, they're most important to you. Now listen, that flows from God revealing his vision for, uh, in your life. It flows out of them. Now, from this moment, what we've asked young people to do over the years is when you have a vision and when you're starting to recognize values, then you write a vision statement. You write it down. Many people have what they believe as a vision from God. I want to ask this. Have you ever written it down? I sat uh, at a, a dinner table a few years ago 
with uh, one of the most, most prominent voices in missions today. Uh, Charisma Magazine recognized him and his organization as one of the top 25 most influential missions organizations in the world. And this is what Phil Smethurst, this is what he said. He said, he said God said to, this to me. He says, if you can, will give me the blank canvas of your life, he goes, I will paint a picture on it. He goes, but if you will write down what I paint on that picture, I will bring it to pass. I never forgot it. Write it down. If it's important, write it down. One of the greatest gifts that our former pastor, Mike Rarick, ever gave to me uh, was not my first office. My first office right now is a storage uh, facility. We didn't have these offices here. Uh, we just used some of the, the we used the other building and uh, room number seven, which is actually just a pass-through from our hallway to the kitchen. That was my office. No windows. It was glorious. The lighting was awesome. And it had a ceiling fan. But what I remember was, is that our former pastor, he gave me uh, several sheets of paper and he said this. He said, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to pray and ask God for vision in a few different areas. One was ministry. One was family. Uh, uh, there were several areas. I'll never forget what I ended up writing down there. I was, I was just praying and seeking the Lord in that little tiny space. And I, I just begin to see things. You have to understand, when we came here as youth pastors, we, there were six kids. Six. Two of them were pastors. Six kids. And I'm like, oh. I'm praying, and all of a sudden, I saw this whole youth band. I'm like, whoo. Man, I want to see, see youth. Uh, you know, and I wrote this down. I, I said, Lord, I want to see a, a, an entire a group of young people who are talented musicians who give themselves to leading their generation in the glory of God. Wrote that down. I, 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 I also, and then all of a sudden, here, I, we're six kids. All of a sudden, I saw this discipleship program unfolding. And me teaching teenagers about the gifts of the Holy Spirit which most people were like, just save that for adulthood. Let them just figure out how to be good friends. But God gives me this vision of this, this, this discipleship program. I just start writing it down. He, didn't, he gives me this vision for transforming what was just our fellowship hall. It had awesome ramps on the side of a corner stage. It had these wooden ramps, and it was awesome, a little corner stage, but it was all white, and that was like handicapped access up to the stage, you know, and it just did not look like a youth room. And I'm writing some things down. I'm like, God, I, I see you doing this. And there were just a few of us. You know what the scariest moment was? When a little over two years later, I had this revelation. Every single thing I had written down, God brought to pass. Every single thing in every single area. It was the scariest moment. You clap, but it's scary. Because you're like, what do I do now? Well, what do I do now? You go back. You get fresh vision from heaven. You allow God to produce more values that flow from his heart, and you write it down again. Now, from, from writing uh, this statement down, what, what happens is, is now you need to make some goals. These are like tangible. These are, these are, you know, these are the, the, the things that you, 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 you can actually say, wow, you know, I, I want this to take place by this. This, this needs to take place in. And it's all connected to vision. Vision itself, this, this written statement kind of becomes the... Um, the thing that fuels your goals, you know. And if you have a goal, which vision will help you form, you know what to say yes to and what to say no to. 
Some people in here, you have an enormous mercy gift. You have not yet learned the word no. Some of you are just jerks and you say it all the time. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You should say yes some of the time. You should. You should. You see, when you, when you start to have vision and you have some goals, it becomes the written banks of your life. And, and all of a sudden, when you begin to understand the will of God is more like a river than a razor-thin line. The will of God is not a razor-thin line. God works in cooperation with us. He lets us choose many times. That's how good he is. But when someone comes along and you know you're called to children's ministry and they say, hey, listen, we really want you to be a part of this outreach. We want you to do all this. You can say, no. That's a good thing. It's just not what God has called me to. But if God has called you to it and you hear an announcement like Calvary Kids is expanding, something in you ought to go, yes. That's what I say yes to. Why? I wrote that down somewhere. I should be walking in it. See, goals are tangible and measurable, and they're vision-based. It's like, I want to see this take place over this certain amount of time. I was told as a young man that the first thing I should do is sit down and write a goal. By the way, from a, a secular point of view, I think it's a powerful tool. From a biblical one, I think it's supposed to be fourth on the list. I think you have to have a vision from God first. I think you have to develop values that flow out of your relationship with God. I think you need to write down what God is saying and then make some goals. So few people in the church live this way. I promise you, the gospel would expand at an unprecedented, in an unprecedented way if we would all live this way. But not only do we need goals, out of those goals comes tasks. These are the everydays. These are the everyday commitments that build vision. Often, look at this, they do not look like the vision because what we saw in the beginning was the finished product. Man, when God gave me a vision for youth ministry, here's what I saw. I saw altars filled. I saw worship. I saw campus ministry. I saw God doing all kinds of awesome things. I saw that picture. And then here we, we, had, we had grown from 6 to 12 and we had the greatest wine-colored chairs ever. They were frayed, and they were messed up, but they were our chairs. And I'd be sitting out those chairs week after week, grown to 12. And so I thought, God, I, I probably need to just set out 20. Let me set out 20 chairs. Let me start to believe God for a little more. But I had this revelation as I was sitting out the chairs, this doesn't look anything like what you showed me. I did not see this. Anybody ever felt like they've been in that moment? You just feel like, I got this grand vision from God. I'm setting out chairs. Until God said something like this to me. He said, every task you perform by faith is a seed that I will honor. If it's connected to the vision, man, when you're setting them out, I just learned, man, I get to pray over every chair. God, do a big work in his life. God, save. God, lead a revival through this one. God, do something amazing. I'm setting out chairs. So don't count the tasks of carrying out the vision as uncommon just because they don't look like the finished product. See, the scripture teaches us, Jesus teaches us that we have to be faithful in small things. And then God makes us ruler over much. He actually goes and teaches us this from the parables. He says, if you'll be faithful with what's another man's, I'll give you something of your own. It's the parable of the minas. Where the they were faithful with what belonged to another man. 
And the master said, here's your reward, 10 cities. See, I believe if you'll be faithful to a vision of your church, God will give you a vision of your own. God teaches us and grows us in this. Well, how do we receive vision for our lives? I'm going to take you to a passage in Habakkuk chapter 2. And we're going to really just look at one verse. Habakkuk is a minor prophet. Not because he was minor in what he said. It's just it's a small book. And Habakkuk really is not a book where he's necessarily prophesying against Israel or saying these big words. Habakkuk is actually a glimpse into his personal prayer life. But we find in Habakkuk how to actually receive vision from heaven. You see, the backstory is this. Habakkuk in his prayer life is complaining. Anybody ever complained in your prayer time? Well, that's Habakkuk chapter 1. He's complaining, God, these Jews, they're just not listening to you. They're not, they're not, they're not doing what you want them to do. God, they're just, they're just terrible people. And God says, I agree. I am going to send the Babylonians, and man, I'm going to wipe them out. And Habakkuk says, wait a minute, God. They're not that bad. The Babylonians are bad. They're not that bad. And then we find this moment <laughs> where Habakkuk makes this statement. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. I believe in this verse, it reveals how to receive vision from God for our lives. First thing we have to do is make a personal commitment. Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch. I know I've been complaining, God. I know you've spoken, and now you've heard me again. God, if I want, I want a vision from you, this is what he says first. I will stand my watch. The first step to receiving a vision from God is to say this, I will. I will. Some of you, when you heard that there was going to be 14 days of prayer and fasting, you said, I won't. I know. Because it's easier to give money than it is food. It is. Listen, receiving a vision from heaven starts with a personal commitment. I will stand my watch. You see, this is referring to walled cities. In walled cities at that time, they would have these walls that you could actually look out and see whether or not an enemy was coming. And there were those who were watchmen who would stand on the wall and they would be looking out. When there was no enemy, it was safe. There was commerce, things coming into the city and things going out of the city. All kinds of good things were happening. Growth would be happening. There would be a time of peace. But when an enemy showed up, that one who was standing on their watch would sound an alarm. They would close up the city and prepare you see, there is a way to live in a very certain time of your life, and you figure out what that is by receiving vision. You have to make a personal commitment to say, I will stand. Not my wife's watch, not my kid's watch. I'm going to stand my watch. I am here with a purpose from God, and I have to stand my watch. We have to say God, I'm committing to you, not to my kingdom, to yours. I say this in, in all humility. 
and with no judgment because I've found myself in both of these places. But laziness and distraction are the enemies of purpose. Laziness and distraction are the enemies of purpose. Someone else will do it. Someone else will pray. Someone else will fast. Someone else will do it. Laziness will rob you of purpose. And so will distraction. Have you ever been driving down the highway and miss your exit? This is one of the most frustrating things on the planet. Especially since I-75 has been under construction since I was a child. They say the projects are ending. Lies. Never ending. And sometimes I look down at my phone and I'm, I'm trying to listen to the navigation or I'm, I'm doing something else and I get distracted and I miss the exit, which is usually followed by the calming voice of my wife saying, honey, you missed the exit. And it, inside, something just eats at me. Because I can feel time slipping away from me. Every man knows that if you get an estimated time of arrival on your GPS, you have to beat that time. <laughs> we know this is true. The bad part is, is it keeps updating. And you're just like... No, go back, go back. I was going to beat you this time. No, but you missed that exit. And you, most of the time, you just, it's just not possible to turn around. You've got to drive miles out of the way and then get off. And then turn around and drive miles back to get back to the place where you were supposed to go. This is a picture of God's grace, though. Because if you miss the exit a decade ago, there's another one coming and God will let you turn around and end up in the place where he wants you to be. If you feel like you've missed it, God will give you an exit. But you have to say, I'm going to stand my watch. And if I missed it five years ago or ten years ago, God grant me repentance, which is a turnaround, so I can go and answer my call on my life. Distraction will keep you missing those moments when God is saying all along, come on, get off, turn around. Come on, get off, turn around. I'll bring you into your purpose. I'll bring you into my vision for your life. You want to receive vision, not only do you have to make a personal commitment, but you've got to position yourself. It says, and I will set myself on the rampart. The rampart was the highest place on the wall. It actually wasn't made for a group of people. It was made for individual watchmen. They would go up to the rampart, and it was the highest place on the wall. It was a lonely place. They were separated even from the rest of the watchmen. I want to say this to you. There is nothing that can replace you getting alone to meet with God when it comes to receiving a vision for your life. Nothing can replace it. There's no sermon that will give it to you. There's no congregational worship time that will give it to you. It will be found in the secret place where you say, I will set myself apart. That's what these 14 days are about. It's about getting rid of the distractions, setting those things aside, and getting up on the rampart and saying, God, I'm going to position myself to hear from you. You see, God will always meet us in the secret place. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said these words, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Do you hear these words? He says, your Father who is in the secret place. Many times we feel like we're not hearing God. Maybe, just maybe, we're just not going to where he is. 
God is saying, sons and daughters, come on, shut the door. Position yourself with me. Set yourself apart. Come and seek my face. This is what it says. He's there. You want to meet with God? Get along with him. Set apart some time for him. You want a vision from heaven? It comes from positioning yourself before him. The next thing is this. You want to receive vision? You have to look and listen. I love this verse, but the first time that I read it, it actually puzzled me because it says this, and I will look to see what he will say to me. I actually thought to myself, God, uh, the prophet misspoke. The first time that I actually read this part of Habakkuk, I actually thought, and I will listen to hear what he will say. That's not what it says. It says, and I will look to see what he will say. How do you see what someone says? Unless you understand that the common language of the Holy Spirit are pictures, visions, and dreams. Did you know that Joseph moved his whole family off a dream and Jesus was protected and taken to Egypt because of a dream? If one of you guys goes home tonight, has a dream, and you're packing up in the morning and you're leaving because of what you experienced in the dream, this is what you're going to hear from most of the church. Brother, you need some balance in your life. You need wisdom. If Joseph had heard those same religious zealots, Jesus would have come under the most intense persecution where all the young boys from two or down were being slaughtered. One dream, Joseph moves this whole family. Now, I'm not saying go out on a whim. But what I am saying is that when God speaks, through pictures, through vision, through dreams, it's worth following. It's worth following. Do you need counsel? Yes. Do you need the wisdom that comes through pastors and other believers who can hear the voice of God? Yes, you do. But you need to look and listen. God speaks through his word. He speaks by his spirit. He loves to speak through visions and dreams. He also loves to speak through people. If you want a vision from the Lord, you have to be looking and listening. Because God reveals things both ways. The final piece is this. If you want to receive vision for your life, a fresh vision, you have to align your heart. So the final part of verse 1, and it says this, and what I will answer when I'm corrected. You see, revelation from God, vision from God, requires adjusting to who he is and what pleases him. It requires us to adjust. You see, we think of correction many times as a rebuke from God. Well, it could be. But correction is also a directional term. So when you get corrected, you actually get put on the right path. Now, you could choose to walk your own path, but you're going to find yourself far away from God's vision for your life. When God speaks to you, be like Habakkuk, humble enough to say, God, if you want to change something, change me. Change me. Change me. I love what Habakkuk goes on to say in chapter 2, which I'm really going to encourage you to do over these next couple of weeks. After he makes this declaration, the Lord speaks to him in verse 2 and 3. And it says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. You know what the Lord said to do? Whenever a vision comes, he said, write it down. You say, well, if I write something down, then I'm going to be forced to do it. 
It will serve as a reminder to you. But the good news is, is that vision isn't only about you. Because this verse goes on to say, so that he who reads it may run with it. You have to understand this. When you start to seek God for vision for your life, it will always involve other people. Because God wants you to reach other people for his glory, for his name, and for his kingdom. He says, you know what, there'll be, there'll be some of you who say, man, I have a vision for this kind of ministry. And you'll write it down and you'll start to talk about it. And other people, it'll leap in their heart. They'll say, man, I'm, gonna, I'm coming to run with you. I'm coming to run with you. So he who reads it can run with it. Then it goes on to say this. I love this. It says, though it tarries, wait for it. It will not tarry. What? Though there's a glory it starts in, and then there's a process, it will arrive and bring you into another glory. That's what this says. God wants to bring to pass his call upon your life. But in order to live it, you got to receive it. I want to encourage you over the next 14 days to seek God, maybe like you never have before. And ask the Lord, Lord, I want to grow strong in the spirit in my relationship with you. I want to know what it is to be transformed into the image of Christ. But Lord, I want you to show me. If there's something that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing, correct me. Change me. And when we do that as a church, there won't be room enough in this room. Because we'll start seeing our neighbors. We'll start seeing our coworkers. We'll start seeing students. We'll start seeing the homeless. We'll start seeing the people who are hurting all around us. Because God's vision is that none should perish. I hope you've enjoyed this message from Calvary Church. For more information on this message or to listen to other teachings, visit us at InvernessCalvary.com. Connect with us for all the latest news on services, events, and more through our website or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and God bless.